we are still using the historic hiring manager decisions, but we are also using external knowledge and we are finding an intersection between the two. And we find that when we do that, our AI systems are fairer. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. Welcome. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast for Lehigh University's College of Business. Today is November 1st, 2023, and we're talking with Kofi Arhan about the current state of artificial intelligence and his research regarding how AI may help make the hiring process more fair and equitable. Dr. Arhan is an assistant professor in the College of Business Department of Decision and Technology Analytics, known as DATA. His research interests include artificial intelligence design and implementation, information security, ethical issues in information systems, human-computer interaction, and web technologies. Kofi, thanks for being with us today on the Illuminate podcast. Thank you for having me, Jack. I'm really honored to be here. Now, it's kind of a big topic, so I thought we'd start by setting the stage um, with kind of an overview of where we're at with AI today. Because since ChatGPT launched almost a year ago now, uh, which introduced a lot of us, I think, to the generative AI for the first time. There has been considerable debate about its ultimate impact on the world. Proponents on one end see it as a bridge to a utopian future in which human suffering is greatly reduced. And critics on the other end see it as nothing less than an extinction threat to the human race. I think most people seem to be somewhere between those two poles. So I'm wondering, what do you see as the current state of AI? That's that's a very interesting question, Jack. Um, I think that the best to talk about this, we'll probably have to take a step or two back to understand how we got here. And then I can speak to the concerns that people have raised and the future opportunities that AI brings. Right? Sounds good. So um, not to bore anyone with history, but... Um, AI has in the past provided people, companies, and society the opportunity to automate processes. And so with advancements in technology and production in of um, technological equipment, we have seen the capability of these basic AI tools grow from, you know, performing mundane tasks to taking care of very complex activities, right? And so when large language models became popular in 2018, um, beginning with BERT, it was not easy to predict that five years down the line would have um, tools like ChatGPT. But what has fooled, one of the key things that has fooled this growth is the ability of you um industries and companies to produce chips and memory cards and all of these computing resources at a very fast paced rate and so with these advancements it becomes very easy or we have all the tools we need to build more sophisticated tools now the the way ai works is one of the key things that is required 
for good performance or efficiency in any AI system is data. You need data to train your AI models or systems on so that it can come out with the expected output. And so generally, the more data, the better. And so if you have resources that allows you to store uh, large sums of data, then your AI models can also be trained on these large sums of data. They require higher speed um, processes and high, higher memories to be able to come up with accurate predictions and outputs. And so with these advancements, there's a lot of there are a lot of opportunities for growth, like I said, for businesses for and for society as a whole. We are seeing AI penetrate all facets of society in different industries. Um, you're talking about healthcare, um, HR, media, and so on and so forth. For example, in healthcare, doctors and hospitals are using AI to assist with patient care. Uh, sometimes it takes you know, just a scan of the human body for an AI assistant or tool to diagnose a condition for a patient. And the doctors can then pick on this information um, and work with. In hiring, a lot of companies are using AI to help uh, pre-screen job applications that they receive. And um, this makes the work of the hiring managers very easy. So in the past, if you had to manually look through millions of applications, now your AI system can easily go through your, your application database and make recommendations um, for you. On the other hand, the concern here is that if you're training AI on data, right? Now we have the capability to train AI on large sums of data. Mm-hmm. The issue here is that um, these data sources contain historical human decisions, right? And so if these human decisions were biased or discriminatory, for example, to some extent, then the AI is now equipped with the capability to exacerbate these discriminatory practices or these biases, right? And so the data feeds the AI and the AI learns the patterns of historical human decision making. That's one of the challenges with AI, Um, especially with generative AI, the, the concerns are even more serious than that. Now, the way generative AI works is it learns from all of these data sources, again, because we have the tools and resources to give it all the information it needs. And then it combines, when you put in a query, it combines all of the knowledge it has to give you the best output. Now, imagine a future where we have everyone, we give everyone access to generative AI to create, you know, um, to, to solve their own problems or to interact with this generative AI. It will be very difficult to put safeguards in place to prevent people from using these generative AI resources for harm. For example, you know, bad actors could use it to develop weapons of mass destruction. Recently, you may have heard about deep fakes, right? Bad Mm -hmm. actors using the face or the image of celebrities um, to create 
some kind of misinformation or disinformation uh, campaigns online. And so all of these are valid concerns. So I've, I've told you about the good parts and then the bad part, right? Okay. Now, um, the statement sitting on the fence may suggest that, okay, you're not sure whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but just like any um, tool or asset you have, it is possible to be um it is possible to be excited about the opportunities that it will bring whilst also being mindful of the concerns and for and so for me i am very hopeful that ai is going to improve a lot of our processes ai is going to make us smarter it's going to make us more efficient people might lose their jobs that's been one of the concerns that have been raised but mm -hmm there'll be other opportunities to improve um, human skills. And so that's the, that's what I'm excited about, the opportunities that uh, AI and all the advancements in generative AI is going to give us. And for me, it's, make, it's made um, some mundane tasks very easy. Like when I'm working with code and I'm trying to debug my function, I no longer have to spend time on Stack Overflow looking for the exact solution to my problem. I put it in chat GPT and then it gives me the solution right away. It saves me time. And, and so there are some tasks that these tools can help us um, to improve on. But we also have, need to be mindful of the harms it will bring. And so I was excited that the U.S. is one of the countries leading um, oversight over these tools. But the recent uh, policy that the government just passed. I haven't read it in detail, but I I, I know some of the I know about some of the um, safety guidelines and um, policies that have been are trying that the government is trying to put in place um, to prevent you know a future where yes we have this great tool but it is very difficult to be excited about it because it's so easy for bad actors to use it to harm people in society. That, that was long. I mean, we can break it down. You can ask me questions about the different things I've touched on, but yeah. Yeah. I got too excited there. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we we like people who are excited about their work here. So um, yeah, you know, you had talked about some of the, the safeguards and some of the concerns, um, you know, in, in hiring. And we'll talk about that um, mm -hmm. in detail in, in just a few minutes. But I, I'm wondering what some of the main things we should be paying attention to in particular regarding the potential future of AI. What are some of the things we should be watching out for to make sure that it doesn't go in the wrong direction? That is a, a very difficult question to answer in the sense that, like I said, five years ago, I don't think anyone <laughs> predicted that we'll be here, right? right? And so I think that, you know, some of the basic things we have to look out for, which companies are de developing these tools, who is getting access to these, what are the safeguards in, um, put in place, how transparent are the companies who are building these and talking about the challenges they 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 face and the potential harm that the, the tools that they are developing might cause. For example, when in in the US, I think a law was passed some time ago um, 
when a company faces a security breach, they have to announce it or publicize it. I think this was in 2005. And so the companies are forced to talk about these breaches and sometimes they have to compensate pe um, people who have been affected, right? Right. Um, in the same way, I think that when we start getting to the point where companies are, yes, highlighting the opportunities that these tools bring, but also talking about the potential harms and, you know, the shortfalls they've had or they are encountering now, that will be great. That will, you know, it, it will open everyone's eyes to um, you know, the potential dangers ahead of us and even um, invite people who have solutions um, to these problems. I think that uh, the fact that there are people who are skeptical about these tools and there are people who are excited is is a perfect scenario. I would rather have been more concerned if everyone was excited and jumping on this bandwagon um, and we're all going in the same direction. I think it is good for us to have other perspectives, have people coming from different contexts on these tools that we are building. And I think that will help us to get to uh, a consensus of or a region where like, yes, we're excited, but we're also mindful. And, you know, I think that that, that would be the best place to be in. I, yeah. I think it might be helpful then to talk about the uh, one of the studies you've done recently, and you've done some other work in this area as well, looking at this question of how AI can be enabled to um, help make the hiring process more fair and equitable. And you had talked about, um, you know, when you feed large amounts of data into AI for something like the hiring practices, then the human biases that went into those hiring practices over the years kind of gets yeah. transferred in there with it. So if you could talk a little bit about that, that history of what the experience has been in human resources or HR um, with the, the use of AI, some of the problems that have been highlighted quickly, and then what it is that you're looking at that, that might be able to make things better. Because I can right. say as, as someone mm -hmm. who's been a hiring manager at several places, mm -hmm. You know, you're absolutely, you know, when you're screening those initial applications from, yeah. you know, up to hundreds to a thousand people, um, mm -hmm. that is tedious. And, you know, there's yeah. a huge percentage of those that are just auto, you know, they're, they're nowhere close to being qualified. So, yep. mm -hmm. you know, having a tool that fixes that, I, you know, I get that, that, that would certainly be a boon for yeah. efficiency in the, in the job process. So. Yeah, that that's great. And like I said, AI is, you know, a great tool that's helped companies hire the right people over time. Um as humans, we all have our biases. I have my biases, you have your biases. And in my short um in my short academic career so far, I've found studies and you know, just in my experience with interacting people that human biases are very difficult to remove. Um, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Uh, sometimes biases help us make decisions um, quickly um, when we have very little information. And so uh, there's nothing wrong with it. Well, in my opinion, we are humans and we have our biases and I don't think anyone should feel 
bad about it. The issue is automating, um, providing an intelligent agent access to decisions that we've made in the past and allowing that agent to replicate those decisions, you know, in a short amount of time, that's where the problem lies, right? And so the challenge from literature and from reports has been that like these AI tools are learning from data and these data contain historic human decisions that may be discriminatory. For example, research has shown that um, the way people look in terms of well, whether it's the color of your hair, your skin color, even the way you dress sometimes can impact a hiring manager's decision to employ you or advance um, to move you to the next stage of the personal selection process. Other studies have also looked at how language impacts the um, interview applicants or job applicants. And there are several standardized tests that have also been shown to affect underrepresented group members negatively. And so in the US, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Uniform Guidelines provide guidelines on how you know people who apply for jobs should not be discriminated based on age, race, religion, gender, and so on. So going back to the hiring with AI, when you train AI models on historic human decisions, you might be replicating or automating the biases in those decisions, right? And so the solution to these this challenge, especially in hiring, has been identifying the human um, biases and trying to um, address them. In my study, I look at it from the perspective of loose coupling. And I make the argument that Let's assume that a company has identified that their AI system AI system could be discriminatory, right? What they have then to do is to go back to the data and try to take out information that may be highly correlated with a particular subgroup like race or gender or religion or something, right? So all the features or attributes in your data that are correlated with these uh, different protected classes. Now, the challenge, I argue, um, together with my co-authors, of course, is that when you start manipulating the data, you have to do it for, so let, let's talk about race, for example. If you're doing it for Black applicants, you have to do it for white applicants, um, Hispanic applicants, you have to do it for uh, um, Indigenous applicants, and so on. Like, there are so many groups in race alone. Then you go to gender, you have to make sure that um people with different gender identifications are being treated um, fairly. And then you go to religion and so on and so forth. In the end, you're going to have a data set where you have removed a lot of information about underrepresented group members, or you have tried to manipulate the data in such a synthetic way that it is no longer representative of society. When you train an AI model on this data, yes, it might give you in the short term fair outcomes but in the long term you you're going to have an ai system that has a lot of information about majority group members because you're not taking their information out of the system and knows very little about underrepresented group members right right that's one um setback two in manipulating your data or training your ai to be more fair there's a potential that you might be 
discriminating against the majority group members, right? And, and so let's look at gender in terms of majority and um, underrepresented. So let's say we have a, a job vacancy where male candidates dominate the application pool or they've dominated the successful hiring process um, over a long period of time, right? So the female, I'm assuming two um, gender types. Um, and so the female, if they are the underrepresented group, now you have to treat them differently if you want your AI system to address that historical human bias. The male group, which is the dominant group, in, in, in treating the female group um, fairly, you might be discriminating against the male group. I'm trying to think of a simplified example, but the best that comes to mind is, and, and this is a very basic example and it's not practical at all. Let's say there's a test, right? So the male applicants, female applicants have to take a test. And the cutoff point is 80% or 80 over 100. You have a lot of male applicants making their 80% mark and female applicants, um, again, just in the context of this example, not making the 80% mark, right? What do you have to do then is to adjust the system to um, treat female applicants separately from male applicants, right? Now, in doing that, you are, there's a potential, uh, you can run into a potential legal challenge where you are discriminating against the male applicants. Remember that the law applies to all, the law is not only meant to, you know, treat a particular group fairly and another group unfairly, right? And so there could be legal challenges. What I propose in my study. And again, I want to highlight that this example I've given is just a very simplified basic problem just to explain my point. Mm -hmm. Now, what I do in my study is I argue that, hey, let's keep all the representation. Don't even touch the data because it represents something about these applicants that are important, right? So keep all the information in the data. Do not remove words. Do not remove attributes or features that you've you find might be highly correlated with subgroup membership. Let's find other sources of information. Let's assume that we are training the AI on our data, right? We are training the AI to model historic hiring manager decisions. In my study, I, I we argue that let's train the AI on other sources of information that can help us identify the best candidates in our pool. So don't just rely on historic um, hiring manager decisions in the past. Train the AI to learn who a good applicant is from other external sources, right? Now, when you've done that, bring it together and then compare what the AI has learned from outside the organization to what your historical decisions have been. Find the intersection between the outside knowledge and the um, internal organizational data, and then pick the applicants at the intersection of these two sources. Now, the rationale behind that is training your AI on external sources introduces some objectivity. Uh, we are, we, well, that, that, that's our hope in the study, that it introduced some objectivity in the way the AI makes decisions. This is not to say that AI systems are not objective, but it's whatever decision the AI is making is relative to the data that belongs to the organization, right? 
So don't just rely on the organization's information. Take information from external resources. Find the intersection between that. And then your AI system now is equipped with enough knowledge to know who a good applicant is. So we are using information. We are still using the historic hiring manager decisions, but we are also using external knowledge and we are finding an intersection between the two. And we find that when we do that, our AI systems are fairer. Now, the way we measure fairness in our data um, is we use the adverse selection ratio or the adverse impact ratio. Now, this is the ratio of selected underrepresented group members to the ratio of majority group members. And it's given by the civil rights legislation. So when, when this ratio is, is given by the uniform guidelines, when this ratio is uh, below the 0.8 mark, we can argue that there has been discrimination in the hiring process. It's also called the four-fifths rule. So in case anyone is looking it up and, um, that is our goal, that when we train our AI models on historic decisions, the predictions on who gets hired or who advances to the next stage of the selection process should meet that 0.8 threshold. And that's what we see when we train our AI systems on external sources and the organization's information. Now, you had mentioned um, something called loose coupling. Um, yeah. As you as you started here, can you can you just explain briefly what loose coupling is and and how that fits into this? Okay, great. That's a good point. So the process I described to you um, of learning from different sources is what we um, describe as loose coupling. Now, okay. let let me talk a, a little bit about coupling theory. It's an organizational theory um, with it has dimensions and mechanisms, but. Basically, um, a tightly you can think of um, think of your mobile phone as a tightly coupled system in the sense that if your battery dies, it doesn't matter if you have a perfect screen or a perfect um, airport, like everything else, nothing works, right? Mm -hmm. But in a loosely coupled system, your battery could die, but your screen could have you know an alternate power source, and your AirPods or your earphones would also have an alternate power. So like a, a breakdown of one function does not prevent the other functions from other parts of the uh, tool from functioning, right? So we argue that machine learning pipelines are tightly coupled in the sense that there's a focus on one source of data that's organization um, historic hiring decisions in our context. Now, Everything in the machine learning pipeline relies on this data source. What has been the hiring manager decisions in the past? What features, what attributes, what sources contribute to the decisions of the hiring manager? So this is like a single narrow view, right? And that's what we call tight coupling. And so in the tightly coupled system, when there's discrimination in the hiring manager decisions, you can easily see why it will translate into the AI's output because it's a single source of knowledge and that information flow goes through the entire pipeline. But in a loosely coupled system, um, a breakdown of one part does not impact the other parts, um, whether immediately or later on. And it gives the other parts also time to recover. And so if there's a breakdown in one part, it does not translate to the other part. And I'm using breakdown here in loosely coupled system to refer to, for example, if there's discrimination in historic hiring manager decisions in a tightly coupled system, 
that discrimination flows through the machine learning pipeline. But in a loosely coupled system, that breakdown discrimination, because we are using alternative sources of information, we are decentralizing the process, we are breaking that direct relationship between our features and historic hiring manager decisions. So all of these things impact the fairness of the model. And so we show that the loosely coupled systems are fairer. And even if you want to argue that the there could be a reduction in accuracy. We show that, in fact, at equal accuracy levels, loosely coupled system meets the 0.8 um, threshold of the forfeits rule. Another advantage of our study is that um, if you're doing, if you've read a lot about, you know, the fair, fair algorithms, you might have come across the accuracy fairness trade-offs. That is, if you're making an algorithm fair, what is the guarantee that in adjusting for fairness, you are picking the right candidates? Because these are candidates that historic hiring manager, um, hiring managers would have rejected, right? And so what you are not given any assurance that these fair decisions that you're making um, will be the best decisions for the company because you're not sure if, you know, if algorithms mean, you know, better quality candidates or you're just um, adjusting your model to make sure just for fairness sake right you also want to ensure that there's quality and so the good thing about loosely coupled um, predictions is that in learning um, from other sources you are actually learning the attributes and features of quality candidates and bringing that in right so that concern about the accuracy fairness trade-off is reduced to some extent because the algorithm already knows who a quality candidate is. In a tightly coupled system, the quality candidate, the algorithm relies on the hiring manager to provide information about quality candidates. In a loosely coupled system, the algorithm has already learned from different sources and it's checking with what the hiring manager says and finding an intersection between the two. I hope all of this is not too technical. I really didn't mean to go. No, that, 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 aspect. Yeah. I, I think that's been a, um, a very helpful as an explanation of the balance you're trying to achieve and what, you know, the problem is that you're trying to address and how you're trying to address it. And I'm not sure there's really any way to do that other than to get, um, you know, somewhat into the weeds on it um, yep. so that people understand what's going into uh, these kinds of decisions and, um, I, I think it's also a good example of the complexity of AI, you know, in terms of those broader problems we we're talking about, of why it's not easy to just snap your fingers and say, okay, we're going to fix this. You know, when there's that much data involved, it's, it becomes complex very quickly. I think that's a good place to wrap up. I want to thank you again for joining us on the Illuminate podcast today. And it sounds like we'll have plenty more to discuss on the topic of AI in the future. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm happy to share um, all of the work that I'm doing and you know, I'm excited that this is getting the attention of people and the more people talk about this, the more it helps the community, the more efficient and equitable systems um, we have in place to serve all of us. So yeah, exciting times ahead. We're grateful that you're looking into, you know, the area of the the ethical and 
legal and even to an extent the, the moral um, implications of some of the, the problems that we do need to face up to with AI. Our guest today has been Kofi Arian, who has taught courses on artificial intelligence in business, human-computer interaction, and ethical and legal issues in computing. His current research projects aim to proffer solutions to ethical concerns in the design and implementation of AI systems. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh Business thought leaders, or to follow us on social media, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast. Thanks for listening.